You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alright guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. This week, we're kind of getting back into the con swing of things, or event swing of things. Mm -hmm. We're basically, now that we've had a few of each event in a post-pandemic world, or whatever you want to call it, uh, now that things are back into swing-ish, what the different events are like. So what Collecticon is like, what mm -hmm. SCGs are like, what TCG cons are like, what's the difference between working, how's the environment shift, because not all cons are created equally. That's just a fact. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, so up top, we wanted to start with Collecticon because it seems <clears throat> to be relatively unknown as kind of a newcomer in space. Uh, talking before the cast, you let me know that Steve Aoki is one of the owners. So if you were to go to the Collecticon website now, you'd see that if you buy tickets for Indianapolis, <clears throat> no, sorry, that's TCG kind of coming up, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, then you get a free entry to a Steve Aoki concert because that's there. And I've never worked at Collecticon. I know a couple people that have, including yourself, I believe. Yep. And in looking at it, from what I'm seeing from the, the sizzle reels and a lot of the promotions, it feels kind of like a smaller anime con. So being at Anime Boston, Anime Expo, uh, Ascent, those feel a very specific way. But something smaller like Otakon, is, yeah. was in DC because their footprint just was really small based on the space available to them in the Baltimore Harbor. Yeah. I know I said DC, but whatever. Um, it Everything looks kind of like that. It seems like it's very high energy. It's very frenetic. The vendor room is lively. Yeah. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of sponsorship and partnership. And one of the things that it looks like you see there that you don't see at a lot of the other ones is not just cosplay, but cosplay troops. So groups coming out, people coming out, yeah. costumes together. So if you go watch the sizzle reel and the link that we'll put up, the troop that you see are people dressed as the Ninja Turtles from, I believe, Secret of the Ooze. That's the, the yeah. skin tone they've chosen for that. That's a troop. It feels more like a uh, an anime convention like that, or a comic con, which this might actually parallel a little bit better. Something like you know, New York is rather large, but you see a lot of the same elements there, though rather focused on vending, from what I can yep. see. Yeah, it's so. The, the one other thing that you'll see there that uh, I, I want to be clear about is you'll occasionally see a Vanilla Ice concert, so be prepared for that. Uh, the one I went to was about a month and a half after the passing of DMX, RIP, and man, he covered Rough Riders Anthem and it was rough. Anyways, uh, the focus is a lot more on the Connor anime side of it. You're right. Like the, the vendors are there, but it's it almost feels similar to like kind of a Gen Con thing to liken it to something I assume most people have been to that are listening, even if they haven't been to ASEN, where, you know, there's events all day, all night. They have panels, they have playtest stuff, they have, you know, whatever you want to do, a podcast recording area, stuff like that. Yeah. And it's kind of like the vendors are an amenity 
to the oh, convention. Okay. But now that said, uh, it is similar to an anime convention, a lot more open. Yes. In terms of what products you can sell. Oh. You know, you you see vendors there with anime statues. Mm-hmm. You see the import poster guys, the import DVD guys, the comic book guys, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic. There's even new games set up there trying to demo, which you'll never see at a Star City, no. and you're unlikely to see at a lot of cons that aren't Gen Con. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's something that's kind of become a little bit more common because it is something you see in TCG Con as well, uh, where, okay, we just want to get our foot in the door somewhere to see people that can get playing our game. We don't want to wait till Gen Con anymore because Gen Con exploded once it could yeah. happen again. You know what this sounds like? It's a little relatable, uh, I hope, for some of our listeners. PAX events. If you've yeah. ever been to a PAX, save for the electronics portion, so obviously, like Microsoft, et cetera, is not going to be there, yeah. but you have the gaming section, and you have people with... I mean, it's all gaming, so that's yeah. kind of irrelevant. Uh but you have like the tabletop gaming section, you have the electronics gaming section, and people yeah. are there with new products because that's where they can go to demo it. They can essentially just kind of sell you on it there. You don't buy anything, but now you're made aware of the product. It's coming. You can experience yep. it. They can get live feedback. Yeah, and it's being able to do that is just probably the best way to do it now is to get people to play test your game while you're promoting it. Yep. Uh, and the other thing you'll see is, in addition to that, you'll have game creator panels similar to a PAX event. Here's all these guys that are here demoing games in various stages. You know, you may have someone who's on their 10th game and you may have someone who's on their first mm-hmm. and just like giving their opinions. And then there will be voice actors. And like you said, uh, cosplay troops, cosplay contests, plural, mm-hmm. not singular, uh, and a bunch of other just good side events. Now, the one thing that I've noticed at Collecticon that I don't think I've ever seen at any con ever mm-hmm. is they announce in the vendor hall when stuff is happening. Oh, yeah, that is pretty neat. When, when it's like bigger stuff, like, oh, for example, they warned us that uh, Vanilla Ice was about to come on stage, which I was very thankful for. Uh, but, you know, when certain panels happen, they say, hey, if you're if you bought tickets for this panel, it's about to happen here. Now I don't know if that was based on tickets sold to the event, mm-hmm. but it was just a really unique touch that really differentiated Collecticon from literally any con I've ever been to before. Yeah, I think the only time I've heard that was at Anime Boston because of how the vendor room was set up. There were just innate PAs, yeah, so they could make those announcements. But it wasn't for every panel. It wasn't for every event. It was for the larger ones, like you said. And I don't know how the queue system at Anime Boston worked. So if it was just a scrum for a lot of that stuff, then it makes sense to make the announcements. But yeah, yeah. I've never heard it at ASEN, never at AX, uh, nothing at ODA. So yeah, yeah uh, it is, that is that is very unique to, to see. It doesn't happen a lot. No. And you mentioned earlier that... It, is more open and i thought you meant from like a room standpoint it is more open from a room standpoint as well uh all of the ones that i've been to it's basically the the hall is one open hall Mm -hmm. where you have your gaming and demo area on one side and like when i say gaming i mean electronic and then your tcg tabletop vendor on the other and it's literally just open it's just a division of like here's the hard line this side is waifu stuff and this side is gaming yep. kind of deal. And so the events that go on there, are they just constant 
like we see in other stuff? Like, or is this more focused on just moving product? It's more focused on moving product. Mm -hmm. uh, so the ones I've been to, there have been like small tournaments, but it's nothing big. It's like on demand. Yeah. And they seem a lot more friendly to like, yeah, just grab a table and hang out and play. You don't have to pay anything. Just just go for it. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Gen Con, where it's just, hey, man, if you want to sign up, sure. Otherwise, we got tables. Yeah. Uh, which is very different from a TCG Con or a SCG of its a very much casual oriented event yeah the one thing that i got when i was looking at the main page and kind of looking at what goes on is this feels just like a one-stop shop for pop culture kind of the way that like hot topic came up like yeah we used to yeah. joke that hot topic was your one-stop shop for all your pop culture underground needs and yep. the way you look at this it just seems like this is very pop culture this is what's in the zeitgeist for collectibles up at the top there is even like science sports pops alongside like a star wars yep. pop but there are also graded sports cards which is not actually something i expected to see on the home page it is like the third banner ad it's very high on the page they want you to know that this happens here so the interesting thing about that is obviously whatnot is a thing yep. uh Collecticon was one of the first places that whatnot kind of grouped up with and said, hey, you're up and coming. You're going to be affordable for us to get exposure at. Let's work together. And it kind of helped build the platform by engaging. And now they have set up, you know, breaker stations at events. Well, when they first started at Collecticon, it wasn't that. It was literally, hey, check out this cool product we're offering or service, whatever you want to call it. Get on the platform. It's going to be great. Um, and I think, too, it's kind of you know, in a during COVID, there was a lot of crossover between Pokemon and sports. Yep. And TC or Collecticon, I think, has wisely latched onto that as like, hey, look, we can try to get some crossover here. Maybe you just want to show up and see what kind of sports cards there are. Kansas City, for example, there were like nine or ten sports card vendors that were just sports cards. So there was a lot there. And it was just, like, mixed in and everything, which I think is great yeah. because, hey, I may be shopping for a Roberto Clemente rookie, and then I look over and there's someone with some of the original Power Rangers toys that I want to grab or something. Uh, and it's it's really interesting to see them, like you said, kind of latch on to sports cards as, hey, here's this big thing we have that's, I mean, been a giant of the collectibles yeah. industry for 50, 60 years. I wonder if that's kind of a push uh, from Aoki based on the vaults that he did with TCG Player and kind of moving into that space. Also, I was scrolling down this list, so if people watching this on YouTube saw me just look it off to my left, I was looking at the special guests for a while because I could not believe that one of them is Chum Lee from yeah. Pawn Stars. <laughs> yeah. And, and they do a really good job of getting guests there. Yeah. This is, you know, in comparison to both Star Cities and TCG Cons, I mean, their guest list is stacked. Uh, the voice like, of uh, Goku. Yeah. Uh, the they US have dub. the voice of Kaiba, and he will even, I think it's like 20 or $30, he will let you record him saying somebody's name, and you're a second-rate duelist with a third-rate deck or whatever it is, which is awesome. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it looks very much set up to be this kind of interesting niche, almost kind of where Magic Fest's we're supposed, supposed to, go. to go yeah it has that kind of feeling but it gets to be this way because it's very broad and wide sweeping in terms of what we're looking for yeah and so to, to jump ship now and narrow things down 
we'll move over to SCG cons, which our audience will probably be a little more familiar <coughs> with. And those have evolved over time, and we're kind of in an interesting space right now. I haven't made it out to any of the ones post-pandemic, but they were all pretty much the same prior to. All that changed was whether or not Star City wanted to give themselves the best booth in the room or just compete with whomever was there. But what I thought happened was that there was a change in the event system that they were running by changing the way they were handling the room setup and flesh and blood yeah. i when i thought they came back for one of their first events at king of prussia for the super bowl so that their employees at all could bet because there's a there's a an otb in that casino yep i thought there was flesh and blood coverage there i could have sworn that was the case and i thought lss was paying for coverage at some of these star cities i thought they were and so people got very uppity about that like well why is lss paying for this and not watsi why meaning for magic not for yeah. flesh and blood obviously and they don't care well yeah there's that and we also uh had reports of interesting room splits you signed up as a vendor for whether you're going to be magic flesh and blood or both and that determined your position in the room because of how things were split is it still kind of like that because i know you did one not too long ago right? yeah so it, it is still kind of like that depending on how the hall is set up it's either like you know here's boom down the middle vertical or boom yep. here's down the middle horizontal and in some cases <clears throat> depending on how many vendors they get for which game Mm -hmm. There may be some overlap on the next line. Okay. Uh, because it's not about, you know, they have, you know, X amount of tables. Yeah. They don't have to have half filled with one and half filled with the other. They just need them all filled. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is that they are now letting you buy other games. So you can say, I buy and sell Pokemon. Oh, okay. You can sell Pokemon. You can say, I buy and sell Yu-Gi-Oh! And you can have Yu-Gi-Oh! in your case. So you can advertise for all of the non-magic events, and that's something that I'm actually, you know, grateful for, because there is a yeah. fair amount of overlap. And it used to be great, because you would have people, you know, trading Pokemon into magic, and Pokemon was insane. Mm -hmm. But but now everyone's just getting out of magic, so it doesn't matter. Nope. <laughs> uh, but it's been really interesting to see that, because I would never have imagined that. The channel would never have let that happen. Ever. No, and the way Star City had handled their vendors throughout the history of the tour has been very tumultuous, and I would not have expected them to open up that much. But at the same time, if they need butts and seats, they need to give their attendees the opportunity to do anything and everything they need yeah. to make sure that they are enticed to come out to the event and engage with Star City in some meaningful way. That doesn't have to mean uh, that doesn't mean play in an event. That means engage with the vendors who are paying to be there, and hopefully Star City is one of them. And if they know they're not going to handle Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, then yeah, why not? Why not let other vendors <clears throat> bring them in? And to your point, Channel wouldn't because Channel was dipping their toes into the into the waters for for those yep. games, and even when they were running their own. Like, when you had Channel as a regional TO, that seems like when they could have done it, because you got a lot more slack. Yep. And 
when they became the official TEO, then yeah, it, it's a hands-off. If Watsi was still making Pokemon, then that might have been a different story, but not a, a Konami game, not not like that. Yeah. So the, the Star Cities are still basically handled that way. There's not much change aside from your ability to vend other, other games there. It's still yeah. very much a come out to our thing, here are some guests, we're going to try and bring in some cosplayers or some personalities yeah enjoy like they have new jersey coming up right that's them yeah that's them yep so they have like uh i think sheldon menory coming out to that they have like magic yeah. personalities coming out it's not it is still very much <clears throat> a magic yeah convention it is not a pop culture convention well, and one of the interesting things is they've, like, if you look at their prize payouts, the prize payouts are way better for Flesh and Blood. Obviously, all of us helps with that, but they get more people for that. And one thing that has actually changed for Star Cities, uh, and this used to not be the case, and it mm -hmm. wasn't the case with Channel, when you sign your companion, or when you sign your contract to vend yep. a Star City, you agree that you stay till hall close, and if you don't, they can fine you. Whoa. You have to be there till the hall closes. There's no more, you know, hey, it's, you know, 8 o'clock, everyone's gone, 7 o'clock, whatever, let's get yeah. out of here. No, if there's five people in that hall, you have you to have stay. To be there. And same with showing up. Showing up late is very frowned upon. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you know, Star City's not going to, like, find you or whatever if you're a repeat vendor or anything. But they're going to be like, hey, man, don't, don't do that or there's going to be a problem. Don't yeah. make it a problem. Because you signed the contract. You agree to be there because they care a lot more now about the appearance of their events now that they're kind of the only gig in town. Yeah. So they want you there late. But, which makes sense. They want it to feel like a GP used to, which is there are people in the hall side. The events are still yep. cranking. The vendors are here. Come on in. Like, if you remove the reason for people to be in the space, people will stop coming into the space and word will spread that vendors, cut, et cetera, cut out early. Yeah. yeah, so again, it's another one of those elements of enticing people to come into the hall and engage with Star City in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And it makes sense. It's just, it's not sad or interesting to see that those events still fire the same way. They're events. That's what they're supposed to be. You know, yeah. a Magic Tournament is not the grandest thing. And SCG, despite slapping con at the end of this instead of open Still or star city tour. exactly yeah. that's all it is is it's a convention disguised as a magic tournament yeah and really nothing more if they bring back the play was it the players champs or the invitational the invitational yeah that's the one that had more of a convention feel they yeah. spent a lot more time on it. they had a a uh a dunk booth at what the first one a dunk yeah booth. they did yeah yeah, and, like, and by no fault of theirs, people ended up getting sick because that same weekend there was a freak snowstorm that blew through. Yeah. But, like, yeah, that's just the kind of interesting things that they can do. I think they set up some off-prem stuff as well at a, either at a local barcade or I'm trying to think if it was a vintage arcade. There was, yeah. there was a bunch of stuff that went on there, and it, that felt more like a convention rather than these tournaments. But we'll see yeah. when it comes to that because the leaderboard's gone. There's, like, nothing to chase right now. Yeah, so that's kind of only... it. That's kind of in flux, really. And uh, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to bring this up is you can play Magic at a lot of places, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Flesh and Blood at a lot of places, and this is the new organized play system we have for some of these games. So yep. what do you do? 
well, just come out and play a 10K, a 25K, a 50K, whatever it is at Star City. Like, that's it now. So, that's all you got. Yep, kind of the same as it was before, and here we are now. Yeah. And then the last convention that we have is TCG Con. Probably the longest, and I would think maybe most successful over the last couple of years since the pandemic, because they've been... I think they took They've a bit been of time. humming along pretty consistently. They yeah. were, you know, a lot of people may not remember TCG Con Tampa was the first large first event. Uh, and I remember uh, they said, hey, we're expecting, like, we're going to be honest, guys, we're expecting, like, two to 3,000 people tops. This is the first event, whatever. Everyone showed up. Yeah. Uh, they had 5,000 people at the door day one that didn't purchase tickets wanting to get in. So it was a huge success. Yep. And we were on the heels of Houston. Dallas, yes. which one? Uh, Houston. Houston. We just had TCG Con Houston, which yeah. I just got back from, which prompted this episode. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting oh, wait, hold thing... On. Before we go on, did you go next door? To which? The Bridal Convention or the Dinosaur Convention? That, the Dinosaur Bounce House Convention. Yeah, I was working with... Of course we saw that together. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but um, we basically... You know, it, it's... It's the best of both worlds. Okay. As a TCG vendor, primarily, you have you're starting to get now, which I think is awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, your cosplay stuff, your panels, um, your anime side events, oh. but they also have large tournaments scheduled. Yes. And fire on demand for a bunch of games. They had mm -hmm. Digimon, Flesh and Blood, uh, One Piece. Um, one of the games that was. De that's been demoing like Grand Archive, something like that. Uh, just a bunch of games had tournaments with payouts. DBZ is still having events there. And it's this really interesting blend of anime convention style, which obviously is an influence there, and obviously TCGs. Mm -hmm. That's what it's named after. And seeing it expand into these new markets this has been very interesting because you actually see the evolution of the con. Mm -hmm. And it's the kind of thing that as a vendor, I cannot encourage you enough to get involved in. Because when you look at Star Cities, and those events are thousands for a table, man, you can pay like two grand and get an island yeah, we at a TCG con. And you're going to do fine. Um, it's... It's interesting to see that kind of stuff happen. Now, one of the one of the things that's happened recently is the cons are in the vent or the panels are in the vendor hall because it's not quite big enough yet to Got have it. a separate area for that. So we had you know middle of Saturday. Oh, here's all the Yu-Gi-Oh voice actors that are here doing a voice panel on or doing a panel on what it was like to voice Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, and it, it was this very interesting like. You had vendors that were over by that side of the room just kind of like, oh, man, I never knew that. That is really cool. Are you watching this? Yep. And just like ignoring customers to pay attention to the panel. But it's a lot more casual feel. Mm -hmm. And by that, I don't mean like casual players. I mean, every it really feels like everyone is hanging out. And yes, people are there to make money, but they're more hanging out with their customers than they are trying to sell them on stuff, mm -hmm. at least overtly. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the Star City is basically all business. People are there to just kind of churn. Yep. And if you want to sit, like, just chit chat with somebody as a seller, that means you're probably ignoring a couple other people. Yeah. So you got to keep it up. You just got to keep it straight. That's interesting. And it, now it does have the kind of the half Star City, half uh, Collecticon feel for vendors where it's like, 
Look, man, we got your money. You don't you don't want to stay? See ya. Just if, head out. If, yeah. Yeah, like it's it's they're less concerned about appearances. They mm-hmm. want everyone to be happy. As long as everyone's happy, doesn't matter. Cool. Enjoy your day. Go do your thing. You want to pack up? By all means. There are plenty of other vendors here for our customers to enjoy. Yeah. There are panels and artists and cosplay people over here. Uh, and they have this – the way they divide the room is a little unique. Okay. So they actually have uh, – despite being TCG Con, uh, they're supposed to have a dedicated sports area every show. Mm-hmm. And when you apply, there is a dedicated sports area. And if nobody signs up for it, they get rid of it. But they have that. They also have all artists on one side of the hall, all of the cosplayers on the other side of the hall. Hmm. So whereas, you know, like an Ace or a Pax, you go, they're all lined up, rows, 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 rows yes, together. Yeah. They have the, you know, I don't really know if you want to say client profile, where, hey, these are the TCG guys over here. These are the waifu anime people over here. Let's keep them separate. Um, hmm. And it's it's interesting to see that kind of dynamic because you definitely do notice as a vendor a customer flow that follows that yeah uh as well as vendor locations there were a lot fewer tcg vendors over by the cosplay people because guess what what anime statues if they cross over here that's great if we have an anime card game we'll face it that way yeah and it was interesting to see that kind of like strategic play going into placement because obviously you know you look at a star city and you're like, all right, well, there's the entrance. I want this booth because that's where the entrance is. This is where the play space is. I want to be there, whatever. Mm-hmm. People were actually basing, and I talked to a few vendors. They were like, yeah, we picked this spot because we were like right next to the grading company or we were right next to the artists. And then we brought a bunch of their cards and faced them towards the artists. And that used to just not be something you cared about mm-hmm. as a vendor. You were just like, I'll just bring my shit and set it up. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I, I never remember caring about that kind of stuff. It was more about location in the room and what was still available when you sign up for your tables. I, yeah. I assume TCG Con is similar to most others where it's like, okay, you're either on the list already or you're on the waiting list and you will get notified when you can join the scrum and start clicking around to get your table. So that's the interesting thing is TCG Con doesn't carry over. There's no favor given for being a repeat vendor. When you sign up for TCG Con, when mm-hmm. you apply, you pick your table immediately. And guess what? You get it right away. Huh. So it's it's really interesting to have that, whereas Collecticon kind of gives you a range of, you know, how many tables do you want? Okay, now select that combination in four different spots of the room. Yeah. We'll give it to you in order of preference. TCG Con, the interactive vendor map, the second you choose, I want to apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, you enter your EIN. You select your table, you pay for your table. Boom, done. Done. Uh, And it's, you know, that immediacy, I think, is kind of... I like it, honestly. Yeah, that's really nice. It lets the, you know, man, I'm, you know, trying to break into this. Let me see what my first event is like. You can get in there before the established guys. You just have to check the website. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great because, no offense to, you know, Star Cities or Channel Fireballs, you know, I... I love the guys at 95. I would love to see some vendor variety in there. Because I go to a Star City, I'm seeing uh, Strike Zone. Yep. Cool stuff. Yep. 95. Yep. Uh, probably seeing the Italians. 
uh, and then maybe two to three, not Galactus, uh, Magic Corner. Okay. Uh, and Star City. And then maybe two to three other vendors that change on the Magic side. Tails is obviously there every time. Like, that's it. It's the same vendors every time, which, you know, when you were having an event every weekend, cool, you're in a completely different area. But when you have events back-to-back two months apart in, like, Philly and Jersey, I mean, I just saw your cards. Did, did that much change in your inventory, in your show stock? Probably not. Uh, and it's nice to see something that has that amount of variety because, you know, I've done two TCG cons in Texas now with Galveston and Houston, and there were maybe four or five vendors overlapped between the two. Which means they're probably local to the area and interested in doing it. I I like the immediacy on that as well. One of the problems that we've always had with Anime Boston is the vendor room is kind of small in comparison to yep. the amount of attendees, and you're all in there at the same time scrumming which means that Konami and Crunchyroll are just literally selecting every booth in the fucking room. Yep. And until they get the layout that they want from each other, no exactly, no other vendor can can get can get a goddamn table until those two are done. Yeah. And it is the worst thing in the world cuz you just don't know. You you don't know what's going on until those two are done and nobody tells you when they're done. You just have to sit there and hawk the page. And, and watch Ray. and hope. Yeah. So that ADC, yeah, that's really nice. That's really appealing as a vendor. You know, you can do a little research while you're looking at it, pick your spot, and then and then go. Nope. And, yeah. <clears throat> and you can kind of set yourself up for that flow of traffic, like you were talking about. That's one of the more interesting parts of being at a convention is looking at that flow and understanding what's going on at any given time. And maybe, yeah. like, somewhere in time, day one or day two, as you're refacing, maybe you reface the booth based on the way the traffic is flowing across the room. You don't necessarily you, because you don't necessarily have the schedule ahead of time, or maybe you made a mistake, or maybe you just realized that it is worthwhile to reface your Pokemon cases yep. a different way because that people aren't coming down a street; they're going an avenue. So, like, take it right, yeah. And that that seems like it would make all the difference and makes this kind of an interesting con. Uh, now they are another one that partners with whatnot. Yeah. Do they do they work in the same way that they do with Collecticon, or is it more just with some of the individuals that are there? So it's basically they they work with the con, and what they do is they have like half of their booth is set up for outreach, and half of their booth is set up of hey we're here at uh, TCG Con, we're streaming here we go, mm-hmm. and it's not you know it's been different streamers every time, so I think it's you know my my understanding is they're reaching out to local guys. Yeah who are on the platform that have a decent number of followers and they're saying, Hey, you want to come out? We'll give you a spot on the front page, whatever. You just got to come out and involve the community. And obviously they take a little bit more of your sales because you're getting front page access. Sure. But you're getting way more liquidity. So it it is kind of that hybrid approach of, even though, frankly, I think the the platform is incredibly saturated and you should not be trying to get on it. Now it's just bad uh, for TCGs, but you have that, hey, guys, look at this platform. You've probably heard about us mm-hmm. at this point. Now we're putting a human face to it. Now we're sitting you and looking you in the eyes and telling you what you can gain from it now that you follow people on the platform. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little bit different, but uh, somewhat more of, I don't really know if like a corporate feel is right, but maybe a used car salesman vibe. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure how they were doing it because I know there are some people that were that go to TCGCon and they advertise their whatnot channel there, and I know whatnot is there, so I didn't know exactly yeah. how those two sunk up. I think um, one of the other vendors I know that does TCGCons pretty reliably 
is or has structured a contract with whatnot to do a stream at each one of them like they they pick the break ahead of time i i'll, I'll have to catch up more on that but yeah yeah it, it seemed that's how he explained it to me was they were just like you start start your stuff up yourself but because you're at every one of these people know you you have a successful business and twitch channel will bring you onto the platform yep try and rocket you but and get you do, there but you will also do this at every one of these cons as well. And, like, I think there's some other stuff that's built in. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not like if, if they weren't going to be there to vend, they might, they might have to be there because of the whatnot contract. Uh, I, yeah. Like I said, i got to check the details. But it seemed like, from my understanding, they were making a lot of community outreach like that, but they were trying to do it in such a way that it seemed like the platform was still smaller yeah than it is which i i thought was kind of weird like the sales pitch for whatnot was just a little weird but now we're tangenting so yeah i was just curious like i said based on that um and tcg con everything's out on the floor so vendors events everything going on and that's the flow it's just the room there's nothing else unless people set it up outside uh, and it's not quite a destination event, you would say, or I, I wouldn't say normally. I, I think the one thing I will say is the exception to that is probably One Piece. Um, I mean, I literally people were like, "Oh, I drove from six hours to come to this and play in the One Piece event." Mm-hmm. What? It, it wasn't even like a twenty k. It was a one k that somebody drove six hours to. Yeah. That's insane. That's like playing in a GPTs. And PPQs yeah. back in the day, you would drive two, four, six, eight hours to just go yep. get your buys. You would stay at a hotel just to try and collect one goddamn buy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I, I like that doesn't surprise me because it seems like even in large cities, it's hard to find more than one event a week. So oh yeah, for sure. People yeah. will take the time to travel and make a weekend yeah. of it, what have you. I think we talked about that before when um, yeah we talked about Galveston. And so, like, TCGCon just kind of straddles the diff. Do you think it's just the, the best bang for your buck? Looking... I think so by far. Really? Um, I, I, I think as a vendor, yeah, it's yeah, your best bang for your buck. Uh, for for example, we did more sales on Saturday at Houston than we did at all of GalaxyCon. Jeez. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, and it's I, And I think, I will say, I think part of it, too, also has to do with location. So the thing that's interesting about TCG Con compared to other cons, uh, you know, Collecticon is these are established cities. Mm-hmm. These are cities where other cons happen. These are cities where large events happen. Mm-hmm. TCG Con is picking fucking Galveston. Yeah. They're picking Tulsa, Oklahoma. I didn't know Tulsa, Oklahoma was or sorry, Ohio. I didn't know Tulsa, Ohio was a thing. I knew Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oklahoma was. That's the, yeah, the slip. But they're picking these places where you may not typically see events, but what I've seen anecdotally is every single one of these, and like, granted, they're still hitting the big cities, Denver, stuff like that. Uh, every single one of these I've been to, it's people that are like, yeah, this is my like first event ever. We had someone that was in their 50s. This was their first event in Houston. So it's like a weird kind of like we're attracting new customers. That's yeah. what we're here for. We're bringing new people into this, and it's very very cool to see yeah 
I imagine there's also a logistics benefit to doing that as well, because while some of them might be out of the way, they're eminently flyable and they're not in large cities. So they might, it might just be easier to get in and out of the event yeah. than trying to deal with something in, a, in the greater downtown area. Also, it means the event space is probably cheaper and yeah. you don't have to deal with whatever cruft is going on in the city at the time. So you don't have to be as litigious about yeah what else could possibly be, be happening at any given moment. Um, you look, yeah. Star City had an interesting track record in 2022 of picking cities with events that were already happening. We noted uh, March Madness, the, the Super Bowl weekend in Pittsburgh. It was the marathon. There were already yep. these large events that made the logistics yeah. for their players a lot more difficult but it was better for the company from a logistics standpoint to do it that way. And so there's there's a give and take there. But when yeah. you move out of a large city, out of a metropolis, and you look at Tampa, which you can fly directly into, when you mm -hmm. look at Galveston, which is a bit of a drive from Houston, you can pick up some decent event space at a lesser cost. And while the burden is still on the attendee to get there, it could be easier overall for them at to get there and have a better experience because they're not competing with whatever else is going on in that city. So it's also a really nice point too. And then you also bring in some people who are like, I'm just fucking tired of diving, driving from Tampa to Kissimmee or Orlando for this bullshit. So thank you. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. That too. Like, you got to give some love to other places. You can't just keep putting events in Secaucus, New Jersey and calling it New York city. It don't work like that. Yeah. And I think terrible. Yeah. For me, I think that's it. I think that's all all the questions I have for this stuff and I think that's a, a lot of information up top. If anybody at the end of the day, I think the summation is if anybody's thinking about looking to actually begin vending or is vending and wants to look for additional avenues, you we'd rank TCG Con above Collecticon, Steel City, a lot of other things and then a Star City. Yeah. Because Star City is just your it's just a tournament. Gussied up as a con. Yeah, it's it's just a tournament, and you're there to vend magic and maybe some other games, but uh, good luck with the rest. Also, importantly, it's an event with a time box, and it's a very large time box. What we, yes. We, we've talked about through the history of this pod, one of the, the reasons we like these alternative conventions, anime cons, comic cons, etc., is because you can kind of come and go as you please. Yep. You don't have to be up at 6 a.m. to be at the hall at 7 because players are in there at 7 to 15 because they wriggled their way through the one security person at the door. Yeah. Like, just hugely beneficial. All right, so moving on to picks. You want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Okay. In keeping with recent tradition, I am citing a market trend. What market trend might you ask? Well, it's a regression of something that we've seen happening for a while now mm -hmm. as a reflection of the overall downturn in the economy. And that is the value of dual lands. So I specifically am picking Plateau as an example. Now, if you take a look at the stocks graph, starting in 21, we saw our absurd upswing. Then we see where we had a little bit of a surge starting in August of 22, at which point we'd gotten out of pandemic, uh, more or less-ish. And you see it start to go up. And then all the bad news with the economy happens, and it tanks. So why am I picking this? 
because you're actually starting to see a little bit of a plateau. That was so bad. I loved it. Uh, and the prices of the card. Yeah. And just dual lands in general. Mm -hmm. So if you take a look at the sales history, the other thing that's really nice is the liquidity is much higher. And what that means is people are buying the card again. They're not afraid it's going to lose value. It's it's there. Uh, so we're recording this on the 26th into the 27th. Yes. On the 26th, uh, there were five unique copies sold. You have to go back like two weeks plus to see where five sold. Now, that may seem like a small sample size, except that this is also something which, and again, this is anecdotal. I've seen and other people I know in LGSs have seen. People aren't coming in and just dumping dual lands anymore. They're starting to pick them back up. And this kind of belies the point that we've harped on ad infinitum, really, that casuals in EDH are kind of driving the market because you're selling one at a time. People are buying one yeah. at a time. So people are starting to say, okay, I'm a little bit more comfortable putting my money into this playable reserve list card in EDH which is a good trend to see because that means we may start to see it go to other areas of the reserve list where maybe power starts to stabilize maybe nether void chains like those power adjacent type cards yeah the B and C tier reserve list cards yeah start to stabilize because this is just how it is it starts at the high end and works its way down uh, so seeing this increased liquidity on duels seeing the prices start to stabilize a little mm -hmm. bit uh, was something that I'm like, hey, we've been saying stuff's going to go down, stuff's going down, stuff's going down. This is one area of the reserve list where you may not be able to wait that much longer to see a good return because we're starting to see it stabilize a little bit and it's going to hit the new floor, but it's going to go up after that. Mm -hmm. And while I don't think we'll ever be to, you know, pandemic levels of you know four hundred dollar plateaus uh maybe not anytime soon but i think your time is running out on buying at the bottom basically yep. you can still get it affordably but this is you know the next month or so is probably your last bet because you know what happens in late february and early march tax, tax returns return. come in yep what happens to the reserve list every tax season up so just as like a market call out take a look at dual lands if it's something that you've been thinking about picking up or if it's something that you just always want to have in stock now is probably the time to start acquiring them a little bit more aggressively than just letting them walk in or letting them be in a trade binder you know when you go out to your weeklies let people know hey man i'm looking for dual lands and try to get them because we're not too far out from seeing a very like reasonable recovery and potential upsurge in the prices yeah no, I, so it's always a good call out one of the opportunity to look back and see something actually trend up in the way we want and expect and i think now that we're also done with like the a30 hysteria and mm -hmm. any kind of stagnation that came with that or downtrend we will begin to see a lot of this pick up as we expect to, as we come out of the economic downturn, as we see tax returns roll in. Yep. I don't think really there's any kind of stop here. I don't think that we'll see much of anything. Yeah. We might continue to see a sawtooth graph on this, 
like we usually do, uh, but that will be a continuously trending upward sawtooth where every time it it, it hits down towards its floor, exactly, it'll it'll be a higher floor than it was last yeah. time. It'll just kind of move like that. And these are expensive items. You don't you might not always keep an eye on them. It might not always be advantageous for or you to dump this much money into these items but you have if you have the ability to they are always a safe bet yeah you know the the s&p is what seven percent a year ish yeah yeah right ish uh watsi is three percent and the reserve list is usually nine to eleven so yeah. it is if you have the opportunity to it is almost always a safe bet moreover when you're looking at trends for cards that always re retain value, it is most likely going to be cards, or sorry, it is most likely going to be real estate. And un until they are reprinted, and in this case, they're not. So it is. it has, it checks a lot of boxes. It has a lot of things going, duels in general have a lot of things going for them. And now that importantly, we're seeing that liquidity it is an opportune time to move in because we know we're going to be moving in a positive direction. Yep. So I like the pick overall. Uh, for me, I'm going, I'm sticking with the EDH theme here, but I'm I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm going with a, a brand new card and I'm going with a very cheap card. And it cheap is- Cheap implies a lack of quality. It's affordable. <laughs> an affordable card. Cargo space? No, car no go space. This is Titania's Command from Brothers War. I am looking. I've been looking at this card since I think not quite. It was spoiled a little after that when people realized this was like the nut high and sealed. And if you had this, you played it and you won. And it is a on the surface a very humble card. For a market price of fifty five cents, you get a sorcery that costs four and two green, and it has four modes. Choose two. Exile target player's graveyard. You gain one life for each card exiled this way. Fair. A little slow. Search your library for up to two land cards. Put them onto the battlefield tap, then shuffle. Note, it just says two. It doesn't say basic, so we're unbridled right there. Great. Create two 2-2 two, two green bear creature tokens. All right, not great rate. That usually costs you two uh, colorless Four. and two green. Yeah. So we're already two, like, we're missing two mana value there. And the last mode is put two plus one plus one counters on each creature you control. Now... When we look at this card, I think that is the ability that scales the best with this mana value. When you're exactly, yes. and because this is modal, the way this card resolves is top to bottom. So if you choose the last two modes, you make two bears, and then you put two, uh, two plus one plus one counters on each of those bears. So as I mentioned, two bears for six is well below rate by two two colors mana. However, you're going to be making two four four bears for six mana which is well above rate so even at that point you're winning and that mode is usually what kind of ended the game in limited is when you would make bears and pump your creatures and we'll get to the rest of the card in a moment so on uh, november 15th i just slammed this card on my watch list card king was buying 248 at a paltry 15 cents which is just barely above bulk rare pricing for them there were 390 copies, LP or better, on TCG Player for 56 cents. That was three days before the official set release. I just checked. So what we saw after that immediately was just a hard downturn. And you saw that in the stock, stocks graph I brought up. This card was pre-ordering for $7 and within two weeks crashed to about where it is now. But 
the important part here is that while Card Kingdom took this off their buy list for quite a long time, they're now buying almost 150 copies again for 52 cents. So as of this week, you actually had opportunity to arbitrage from TCG Player to Card Kingdom for profit in cash. It wasn't a lot, but it was there. Credit, a lot more. So that is what we're looking at. That's what I like about this card. Uh, as of right now, Card Kingdom had somebody send them nine. So they're still buying 143 at 52 cents. Great. Nine didn't dent that set, that buy number. And that's what we're looking for. Just hold steady, little guy. Now, commander playability. I don't think this is foundational to green decks, but not including this card in your green deck should only be a signifier that you aren't looking to enter combat to win. As I went over, the first mode on this card I think is fairly useless. You're just exiling a graveyard. For, for six, six mana, mana, when you can do it for free with Endurance. Yeah, or Tormod's Crypt, or two with Relic, where, uh, sorry, Relic yeah. of Progenitus, on and on and on. <clears throat> like, that mode is just wholly irrelevant. The, the Mono Ramp, very enticing. The other two modes ask you to enter combat to win the game. So if you're not including this in your deck, it's because you're not entering combat. Because there's only one useful mode for you then, and it's uh, double reap and sow. Cool. Not I'd the... prefer double plow under. I, I would agree with that. If you could just send your opponent to the Shadow Realm by putting four lands on top of their deck, perfect. So again, this isn't foundational to green because it if you're not entering combat, if green is your splash color, it's just for ramp, what have you, like and for people that play Calamax, you know, you are looking to enter combat, but green is not your primary color. This isn't quite the card for you. Okay? That's why it's not foundational. Now, when we look at the format on the whole, according to Rec, this plays exactly where you would expect it to. Any deck with the color green that wants to win in combat, and also whatever the hell Child of Alara is doing now. <laughs> Couldn't tell you. I played that Boy, as a control wins. deck. I played that as a control deck with like 60 plus lands <clears throat> years before they changed the ruling on how it operates. Died. Yeah. yeah. When you could put a clone <clears throat> under a mimic vat and have a standoff of somebody about their general. Go ahead play it i'll copy it they both die i come out on the other end squeaky clean i've got no idea what child of Alara is doing but the power of three of the four modes for more casual tables modes two three and four like i mentioned is what attracted me to this card during spoiler season what it seems like is really attracting people to this card in general those are very powerful modes at six mana this is definitely a casual commander card that can play like crater hoof at all but not create the same kind of quote-unquote feel-bad that those cards do, which I believe is another strength of the card. I've talked about this a bunch. I don't quite understand why like comboing out in combat to win the game in one combat step seems to be frowned upon, but it is. So when you look at Craterhuff and the et al. are like Decimator of Provinces, Enray's Forerunners, Pathbreaker Ibex, um, the... The Baloth I picked years ago that are just yep. like overrun and done, people seem to not like these. I don't know why. A discussion I was having in a Discord chat today was, if you can cast Brainstorm or Capsize infinite times, and it doesn't matter <clears throat> how, the moment you demonstrate the Capsize loop, 
people will just pick up their game because you have dealt so much mental damage to them, they're yeah. going to cry. <laughs> out. But Boomerang, not a problem. They'll try and play through. I don't understand it. It's the same thing, and it applies here as well. So I think this is a strength of the card. It's not Crater Hoof, but it does a Crater Hoof-like thing. It ends the game the very same way, in a very casual way. And again, the game has to end, so we're just going to do it in combat. And stagnation, like stagnating growth and adoption of cards that we would normally expect because of this is not something I see applying here. I mean, you look at Creator Huff and it went like straight up once people figured out what it did, but once that mental kicked in, it was like, uh. yeah, you're now you're a spike when you play Creator yep. Huff. That stagnated the card. I don't think we're going to see it. And because this is a modal spell, and because the fourth mode is so quote-unquote light, I do expect this to skirt around and continue to pick up in popularity. Also, it's modal. You don't have to use the last mode, so it does make it a little more appealing. There's a lot going for it like that. It just plays really well in this casual wheelhouse. And as far as the timeline is concerned, as I mentioned, immediately there was arbitrage opportunity from TCG to CK, and I would expect that to, to continue. So the longer you hold, the more you'll make. In the almost three months that this card has been on TCG Player, 2,400 Nearmint copies have sold with negligible LP sell rate. And that's because the overwhelming majority of copies available are still Nearmint. People aren't buying this card, playing it, selling it back yet. So we're only looking at 2,400 number. That's about like 800 a month. That's really good for a brand new card that isn't a standard staple. Yep. If average velocity continues, this will jump, like Titanius Command will jump in price from 50 cents a copy to almost 70 in a very short order. And from there, it becomes a dollar each. And that is well within reach for the next month or two. So I'd yep. expect to be selling into the market for profit within a few weeks. And if BioLess demand maintains current velocity, we might also be able to sell the BioLess for a larger margin within a month or two. So this is going to be a very quick turnaround. Or you could just sit on it and make more. It really is up to you. The window just starts very quickly. I just think it's going to keep running. I don't think the window's ever going to close. Reprint equity. This is kind of funny. So Titania finally got a standard card that didn't just have flavor text referencing her but thus far the character mainly exists in supplementals so it's kind of weird i doubt we'll see this in commander or any other kind of supplemental in the near term but when it does turn up down the road i wouldn't expect that to really impact the price like so uh, commands are weird with supplemental sets the original five were all reprinted in some way, shape, or form in a supplemental If you when you discount variants as well. So Cryptic Command is in the modern set, in the modern supplementals. Profane yeah. Command, the Black Command, is also in uh, Modern Horizons. Austere Command, I believe, might have been in one of the Commander decks. And Iconic Masters. Yep, and that leaves Incendiary <clears throat> Command and Primal Which Command. Primal Command was definitely in one of the dual decks, Golgari versus something, I believe. I think so. At and least. then Incendiary was a commander deck? Uh, if not commander, then maybe a modern master set, because you gotta give some yeah. you gotta give the players a really 
bad red card in those sets. To, too much text. Yep, to even out the price on those packs. If you're going to make somebody gamble, you can go for <laughs> Goyf or Comet Storm, and you need more Comet Storms and less Goyfs, apparently, is what we've learned in those packs. So, if it does come, again, Titania just got her first card right before everybody dies. Yep. I don't think the character's coming back at standard. It'll probably even be a supplemental set years down the road, but not the first five commands have been reprinted, and it's really weird when you look at the rest of them about when they're going to show up. That said, the price generally doesn't impact them, and I don't expect it to impact this one either. Yeah. It is really based, their price is really based around utility. Austere Command was not really, was not played that much before it was reprinted, but once it picked up, the reprint did nothing to the price. It just made the card more available because it was from Lorwyn, thus scarce. Yeah. People pick it up, price goes up, awesome. Cryptic Command modern staple for a very long time the format changes nobody's playing it it tanks in price right so it's based on that it's so does see play in edh but not nearly as much to prop up the old price tag it's settled at where it currently is because that it's a commander playable right now that's about it yeah so that's it for reefing equity yes oh sorry go ahead and then as far as uh buy quantity goes if you can get in sub 70 cents i'd buy as many as i could uh, honestly, I don't think this card ever falls below its current waterline, and at any point, I'd be happy to keep four in my binder and continuously reloading those four. Um, I think, I, like, in my hand, I have the cheapest brick that was on TCG Player, uh, averaging about 74 cents a piece, so definitely over the margin I was looking at, but I expected the price to continue to tumble a little bit, so anything below or about 70, I think, is where you want to be this week. If the price continues to trend up market and on buy list, you know, that will continue to trend up as well as people are just looking to move this card. There are still bricks available on TCG player. It is not, I don't think it, it's, I don't think it's being anchored by anyone. I think it does run up to 70, it runs up to a dollar very quickly. If yep. you're looking at bricks on TCG player, amazing adventures is currently anchoring 105 at 75 cents, which is a little bit above what I paid for my brick. <clears throat> and if, they're all foil as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> if, the, the price delta is small enough. Why not? Exactly. And if, you, if you're looking past that, nobody really has a brick bigger yeah. than like 14 or so. Pack Fresh has 114 at $2. That's the anchor. Yep. 114 copies at $2. That's where we're headed. And we're headed there very quickly when you just filter by four or more. I think if you're going to you want to turn something around quickly i think this is it yeah i i think it's a really good call out uh i also appreciate um holy shit brothers war was in november yes i had to look it up while you were talking actually because i was like i added this to my list on november 15th when it was set release i was like two weeks ago yes jesus I, was, I had convinced myself that one came out this week because we don't have a magic release or we we were due for one I like up until like literally a couple hours ago, I convinced myself that all that Phyrexia all will be one comes out the Friday that we're recording this. Um, yeah. So that was that was fun to find okay. out. Yeah. Uh, I I like this card a lot because it does do a lot of things that green does yeah. in casual play. And while one mode I agree with is terrible, uh, the others are really good. Uh, I think at this price point, it's great. It's one of, 
It also speaks to the fact that specking has got to change a little bit with collector boosters and set boosters and everything out, and that that changes the insertion. That like, hey, we're not, you know, you can't really spec deep on the five dollar cards. Yeah. Go to the slums, yeah. which I love. Oh yeah, this is like one of three cards I was looking at. Um, oh, I, did, I I called out specifically this the the second mode says any two lands right yeah like i mentioned reap and so i didn't cover this because i was spending more time talking about like why people have weak mental around combat um <laughs> you're paying six for this thing if you're in green you probably have a nykthos in there or you have a maya stuff like that it, it go fetch and it puts yeah. them in a play tapped who cares if, if you don't need them tap that turn cool if you need them untapped then you got a couple answers in front of you starting with uh amulet of vigor and ending at like archilagos or whatever that sultai yeah. turtle is like I, I think that mode is the underserved mode people are just like whatever two lands and it's kind of like um unnatural growth people did not read unnatural growth correctly when it came out in crimson vow midnight nope. one of them but when that new Phyrexian was released that had the exact same line of fucking text, they realized Unnatural Growth says every combat step, not yours and your opponent's, yeah, like singular or yours, also singular, every, every combat, everyone. And I think that same thing might happen here. People are just going to read this, think it's new style ramp, like O2 Forests. Nope. Nope. Any land. You you can get the stage depths. Yeah, exactly. You can get off color stuff. You can get anything you want. Yeah. Yeah. And Love so I, yeah, I I think that might be something that people miss for a little while too. So this card could still be underserved in price because of that, like how yep. much more it does than like explosive veg and the four mana value stuff as well. So, you know, we're we're slumming it here. Um, my other brothers, my other two brother war picks didn't really pan out. There was a a vintage flash in the pan and i was really hoping that vintage could carry the weight on something yeah. for once but uh it wasn't an was artifact i wanted it to carry it was hercule. it was hercule yeah uh, one of them was her two blue cards one was hercule the other one i can't remember it was oh no it was bad enough green. it was the other green mythic never mind oh yeah um yeah but if th this one came through a lot faster it would have just been like chomping at the bit to uh to get it at the gwenna that's yeah. the one. I, th I think I think I've talked about Gwena a couple of times, right? Yep. But Eyes of Gaia. Yeah. Now we're at the end of the episode, and I'm just here babbling. So that's tradition. That's, yes. Also, the end of the episode. So yes. for at MTG Cabalcast uh, on where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube. I am at Halt. I am Reptire. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week. See ya. <laughs>